Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. How are you feeling, Zach? Um, right now I'm feeling really good, but that's only because everything's done now. I'm <laughs> done with the semester. Um, since the last podcast came out, though, uh, it's been like the finals crunch. And so that was a lot less fun and a lot less relaxing. I just got done with everything this past Friday. And every day until then, there was either an assignment due or due the next day or a final exam to take. Wow. So, yeah, yesterday was my first good day to just relax. How did finals go? Like, do you think uh, you they, did well? Yeah, I think I did pretty well. Uh, some of the projects were rushed. Um, and actually, one thing I found myself doing is I had the one week of projects that were due, and then the week after that was all exams. And I kind of only got through the first week of all the projects by tricking myself into thinking that after that week, it was all over. So oh, surprisingly, gotcha. then after that week was over, I was not ready for the following week. So um, is that a strategy that you would recommend to people? I mean, I survived. Just, it wasn't a lot of fun. Just don't worry I, about I recommend next week it. just to get through this one and worry about the next week next week. My real strategy is plan ahead, but if it comes down to it, I guess survive is the, <laughs> the follow-up strategy. Plan B, survive. That makes sense. Um, but now they're all done and everything's over. All of my classes are over. I still have some of the Todoist projects open because I want to finish reading up those books. Um, but all of my notebooks and really all of those projects I could be done with um, which got me thinking, what do you do, Stephen, when you're done with a project? Oh, um, like as a ritual, like yeah, some like mark everything for yeah. checklist. Well, uh, I think the first thing I do is go into OmniFocus and set the project to complete, which mm -hmm. takes it off of the the sidebar which is really a good feeling because you can see the sidebar shrink down to one less project than there was before. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I do is add the credit I earned from that project into a spreadsheet uh, of my graduation plan, I guess. I guess. It's kind of mm. hard to explain. It's um, just a spreadsheet that I wrote down all the credits I earned in that subject in that year. And it adds them all up and tells me how many credits I have. And yeah, that feels good too because it's all color coded by completion. It goes from red mm -hmm. to yellow, from red to yellow to green, and it's really nice when the box turns green because that means yeah. I have hundred percent done with that uh, with that subject. And then with the Cirrus project, you kind of have to do a post mortem analysis of how the project went. Just by the nature of it being a serious project, right? Uh, yeah. That I guess I kind of include that in the project process. So that's that comes before closing it out of OmniFocus and adding the credits and stuff. But yeah, there's a uh, a couple page reflection that we're required to write about it. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of enjoy those because they're pretty informal, and yeah, I can just write to my teacher what happened and 
how I felt about each step. That might actually be something I want to think about carrying on past Cirrus. I forgot that we did those, honestly, and it it's a good habit to get into of reflecting on the project once you're done with it. So besides school projects, for me, one of the big things I do is video projects. And with the video projects, once those are done, there's a way to compile all of the resources that you used, all of the different clips that went into that final product. Uh, I'll go into one folder, and then I compress that folder and put it onto a five terabyte hard drive that is just labeled as all my old videos. So I've got all of the old videos I worked on starting, I think, two years ago. Oh, gotcha. Uh, is, are most so of that, those for your blog or your blog? Yeah, a lot of those are vlog videos. I've got some of the ones that I made with Cirrus. Um, there's a couple that people, different people made just kind of recapping the year in, uh, in my dorm that I've put on there. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this big chunk of memories that I can go back through and pull clips from if I need to. Cool. And one of the things I've been meaning to do with that is set it up with something with Amazon Glacier, which is just this big long-term storage solution online on the cloud to take it so all of those videos aren't just stuck on that one hard drive that could go down theoretically at any time. Right. And they're yeah. distributed out on the cloud. And with Amazon Glacier, there are ways to get things up and down. It's just slower. So it's really only meant for that archival kind of backup yeah i really need a better backup solution than i have i have um i also have a five terabyte hard drive that i keep all my backups on and but it's just a five terabyte hard drive i don't have anything in the cloud or anything uh no backbait blaze or Mm. anything like that um which i mean it works for all the times that i've ever needed it and it's mostly just been like Oops, I accidentally deleted a file. I need that, so I went back into my backup and grabbed it. But um yeah. If there were to be a fire in my house and I lost my laptop and hard drives, I'd be out of luck because I don't have anything offsite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got Backblaze, which I think I've mentioned before, and that's been really helpful cuz I actually don't have any physical hard drives that are just sitting there doing routine backups on my computer. Mm -hmm. So a couple times I have done that thing where you delete a file and, oh, wait, I actually needed that file. So I can go up to Backblaze and there's a way to restore files individually. So you can do that. But so I've got the opposite thing where all of my stuff is on the cloud. Gotcha. So if it's a b- really big file that you accidentally deleted, you're going to be sitting there a little while. But what are some times that you've had to use your backup? Um, the only time I've actually had to use it, I was editing a video for my mom. It was just taking one clip that we had and trimming it down so that all the like setting up the camera stuff and then, the oh, should we end the clip here? And then walking over to the camera, all that stuff got cut out and it was just the content. And when I exported it, I exported it as the same name as the source file. Oh, no. Which meant that it it wrote a megabyte, and then Premiere started having a really big problem of there's no longer a source file. Right, right. And I was freaking out because I forgot I had Backblaze, and so I thought that I was just screwed. I had just deleted this file. But luckily, I did have Backblaze, and I just went up and 
re-downloaded the file and it was all good but it was a big panic until then yeah i think the only time i've used it other than little like non non-critical things was uh there was once at my laptop i was editing a video and my laptop just turned off oh and which okay whatever maybe i lost like five minutes of work that i didn't save it's not a big deal mm-hmm. but uh I tried to boot my computer back up, and it would get to the Apple logo and then shut down again. And then I'd try again, it would get to the Apple logo and shut down again. So that sucked. Um, I ended up needing a new laptop because it just, something was wrong with the motherboard, and it just wasn't having it. It lasted me, I think, nine years. So, so I mean, it's a it's fairly old, but still, I was kind of disappointed, but the uh, it takes a little while to get a new laptop here, though, and the file I needed that I was editing at the time was the only mm-hmm. thing that wasn't backed up because I have it over Time Machine, and I was at school, so I didn't have it plugged in, and it was it was only a day's worth of work, but it was the wrong day, I guess, because everything... It, it was for a drama production, and we had to redo all that stuff, and we were already on a time crunch. Oh, man. Yeah, so it was just really, really bad timing. But yeah, that was the one file on my computer that was not backed up that I needed. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well. Everything turned out fine. So, Stephen, it says on the notes here that you have a new pocket pen. Is Uh, that how you wanted to introduce that, or is there a... Sorry, I Skype freaked out, and I couldn't hear anything except for pocket pen. I, I could uh, a, I could infer what you said, but I'd rather you just repeat it so I don't accidentally answer the wrong question. I'm actually really eager to see if you answer the right question. Well, I used to carry around a Twisby EcoSport because it was small and fun to write with, and it's a fountain pen. Yeah. Is that right? Does that make sense with your question? <laughs> okay, no, not quite the right. Um, I, I said, so it says here that you have a new pocket pen. Oh, okay. Yeah, almost. Um. Yeah, I got a new pocket pen. Um, and what I mean by pocket pen is a pen that I carry around with me pretty much all the time. Uh, I used to carry around a Twisby Eco Sport because it was small. It was about the size of my index finger. And um, it was a fountain pen, so it was fun to write with, more so than just like a ballpoint. But because it was a fountain pen, it wasn't always very reliable. Uh, not to say that it wasn't... Uh, it always worked, but whatever I was writing on might have not absorbed the ink, or I would need to explain to someone how to use it for them to use it, and I didn't feel like doing that most of the time. So, I am now carrying around a Fisher Space Pen, a, the bullet model, mm-hmm. because I think that it is. I think that it's fun to write with, while also being probably the most reliable pen ever, because it works in space. And above, yeah. free- <laughs> below freezing temperatures, uh, underwater, upside down, that kind of stuff. So if I remember right, you actually did use a space pen a couple years ago as well. So did you go from space pen right to the Twisby back to the space pen? Uh, I went from space pen to Lamy Safari because that's when I first got the Safari, which is also a fountain pen. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to the Twisby because it was smaller and wouldn't stab me when I sat down. And now I'm yep. back to the space pen because 
it's small and reliable. All right. I actually have a lot of pocket pen news that I just have been forgetting to mention on here. Oh. Um, yeah, so at the beginning of the semester, I had three pocket pens. Um, I had a Pilot G2, usually, which is just like your normal, I think it's a ballpoint. It might be a gel. I'm pretty sure it's a gel. It's a gel. Okay. Which is just a normal gel pen. Um, I had a Lamy Safari, and I had a Kurutoga, a Uniball Kurutoga, which is just a mechanical pencil with a funny mechanism so that it doesn't get as dull. Um, and then I started getting a bunch of dots of ink in my pocket, and the pencil would poke through my pocket and all kinds of annoying things like that. So I actually got a pencil case um, that straps in each pen and pencil individually so now i've got all of my different pens and pencils in this nice pencil case but i still want to have a pocket pen of some sort um, which is usually the g2 just because the pocket pen is the pen that i'm lending out to people if they say hey dude you got a pen oh this is the pen that i give them that makes sense um and also i just like the the way that the g2 writes it's one of the better pens that i have that i don't mind losing a byproduct of it being the pen that I lend out is that sometimes it does not get returned. Hmm. Um, so the the good thing about the Pilot G2 is that it's nice to write with, but also I don't mind losing it if somebody takes it or it falls out of my pocket at some point. Yeah, I think that um, I never really had that problem, uh, people stealing it, that is, because it's always just been like people have noticed that it is, like especially with the uh, Twisby, hey, this looks... Uh, Nothing like any pen I would ever use is definitely not mine. Mm, mm-hmm. And same thing with the space pen. It was. It's always just something like, this would be a very strange thing for me to own. I probably don't. <laughs> this is Stevens. Yeah. So I had a pack of four Pilot G2s that I got in the beginning of the year. And um, just because they've been in my pocket and been lent out and have... They just constantly fall out of my pockets. I don't know what it is about my pockets or if this just happens to everyone and no one else cares, (laughs) but I am really consistently losing pens out of my pockets. So I just lost my last pen about a week ago. And so the day after that on Amazon, I ordered a big pack. Did you know you can get 36 pen tubs of Pilot G2s on Amazon? Wait, pen tubs? Like they're big plastic bins of pens? Yeah. (laughs) I I didn't get a tub. Right. I, I'm I'm one step down. We're it's putting that in the show notes, box, though. But but you can get a pen tub of Pilot G2s, and I was really close to getting one. <laughs> Did I ever mention that I got a Platinum Preppy? No. What is that? There, it's it's like the cheapest fountain pen you can buy. Oh. Um. Is but it they like come disposable. With, yeah, pretty much. But you can also open it up and put in a cartridge or a converter. All right. And the converter actually costs more than the pen. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So now I have my nicest ink in a pen that the converter costs more than the pen. <laughs> what do you think your nicest ink is? My KWZ Honey ink. Mm, yeah, I remember advising you to get that color because I liked it. It's good. The pen addict is going crazy for the petrol color it's a good color yeah i I liked it too uh i don't know if it's sold out from every retailer good but i do like it Hmm. (laughs) is it is it currently sold out from every retailer 
It was as of a couple days ago when I listened to the Pen Addict. Oh God, it's been. I'm I'm still very behind on podcasts. <laughs> Made any progress on that? A uh, little. Like I said, now finals are over, so I can spend some time just oh yeah chilling out totally playing games that kind of stuff. So Stephen, did you watch Google I/O? I did not. I was doing something at the time, and or I totally forgot about it. One of the two. Okay. I, it was right after my second to last final, and I had a whole day until my next final, and I just wanted to sit down and veg out and watch some Google I.O. So I took some pretty detailed notes, and we can go by it uh, by time. We can move through the I.O. keynote temporally, or... Uh, yeah, go for it. I guess first we should uh, give a short description of Google I.O. It's Google's developer conference, sort of. It's mostly news kind at of. this point. And then after yeah. that, they have a developer conference. It's like a giant um, press release. Yeah. That they live stream. Um, yeah. In the past, they've had some product releases there, um, showed off new Android operating systems, all kinds of different stuff like that. Um, the first thing, the main point of the keynote was that they're switching from a mobile first world to an ai first world um which is i guess just kind of the natural progression of things and yeah. it what it means is that now they're using instead of interfacing with just your phone you're using voice and vision as opposed to multi-touch well that's pretty cool so what is the next step after ai do you think the, the next logical step um so I'm thinking the next step after AI is kind of going to be a transition from phones to a watch and just convenient screens in places. One of the things that they're showing off at I.O. was how Google Home, which is their little speaker microphone unit thing that sits in your house, um, can now display different things to your Chromecast screens really easily. Um, or pops pop information up on your phone. And so I think that the next move is going to be to something like a watch to act as your Google Home, some always-on listening device, and then just screens in handy places where it can pop up larger information if it needs. All right, yeah, it's a good assumption. Uh, I think the correct answer, though, is that after AI, um, there will be no more humans, so... It's not necessary mm. to have Google I.O. Even bigger AI. That's the next yep. <laughs> logical step. There's nothing past AI. <laughs> That's why it's called the singularity. Yep. I'd, wow. Uh, some of the things they're using AI for right now are actually really interesting. They showed off the capability of... Um, you know how when you take a low-light picture, it's really dark outside, but you take a picture of the moon or whatever, and everything is really yeah. fuzzy and grainy? Um, yeah. They've got... AIs now that can denoise photos like that. And they actually showed off uh, the ability to remove a fence from, like, some parent's picture of their kid's baseball game. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it was it was really interesting seeing the... It was really fascinating, actually, seeing the difference in the image, how much they could reconstruct with just the stuff that you saw through the fence. Um, and as a part of that AI stuff, they're also redoing their tensor processing units, which are just new chunks of hardware most computers have a central processing unit and a graphics processing unit and now they're 
using this tensor processing unit to do all of their AI number crunching. Do you know how it's different from a CPU or a GPU? I don't know. Okay. More teraflops. Yeah, I knew that much. It, it's <laughs> a, a really, really insane amount of computing power. Yeah. And Google has whole servers of them, or whole rooms of them, really. Yeah, remember when... Well, no, we don't, but somebody does. Remember when computers were the size of rooms, and now we've condensed them and still made them the size of rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except now they can calculate the motion of the planets as a system. Well, they can do a lot more than that. Just, My like, phone can do that. Do a little encryption. <laughs> um, another big step for them, which it didn't really shock me, but they showed it off as this big, amazing thing, was just Google Goggles Part 2, Google Lens. Yeah, um, I remember when for, when Google Goggles first came out and... It was just kind of a neat thing that you could show off to a friend that didn't know about it. Um, mm -hmm. It was kind of just like, hey, watch this. And you take a picture of uh, of a Rubik's Cube and it would pull up your Rubik's Cube because it knows what a Rubik's Cube is. But it wasn't always that great at trying to figure out what, um, say, like a table was because a table could also be a bunch of other things. It could be the thing on the table. It could be the table itself. It could be mm -hmm. wood. It could be metal, whatever. Yeah. So what is Google Lens? How is it different from the original Google Goggles? Um, It's got some more... I don't remember if um, Google Goggles actually had any AR functionality, um, augmented reality, where it takes the result and displays it on top of the image. I don't think so. Okay, so that's that's new, and they've got some stuff. Um, did you ever play with the Yelp apps AR functionality? No, I didn't know it had it. It was, oh boy, I don't, it's probably not there anymore, but at some point you could open up your camera, like, in the Yelp app, and move it around, and it would use the compass in the phone and the geo-positioning that you had to show just little map pinpoints at all these different spots it wouldn't actually see anything but it would just give you a sense of where stuff was it must have just been some some engineer having fun with the camera and gps apis yeah it's, it's, it is cool I'm not uh, sure how useful but it google, is google google now has that same idea of putting a business at a location except now it can actually tell when like there's a beam in front of the location it won't show you a kentucky fried chicken that's three miles away that you can't see through the wall oh okay um they've got flowers now so with google goggles you could take a picture of a flower and it would say that's a flower and now it'll say that's a rhododendron or whatever oh that's cool does that work with like birds and stuff i or don't know just they just plants. shut off the one it was like three different times they used the one flower, so maybe it's just the one kind of flower that they've really got <laughs> nailed down. I might have to play with that. I'm really interested now. I know they can differentiate dog breeds pretty well, but mm. I would like to know what kind of bird is outside. Yeah. And then they've got um, the one that everybody cheered for was on a lot of uh, Wi-Fi routers. On the back, they've got like a barcode and a... Pa or a yeah, two barcodes with the username and password for the default account. Yeah. And so now you can scan that with your Google Lens 
and it will automatically fill in the password and username for any router or for that router that you're nearby. Oh, good. So I can break into your Wi-Fi more easily. If I didn't change the default username and password, I guess. I'm I'm just curious, like, what is the use case for that? Because it's not like it's not that's not the password that you share with your guests when they need to show you a YouTube video. That's the I... one where you need to like change a setting on your router to do something with. When your friend is not good at technology and they like have you come over for a party and then there's actually no party, it's just they needed your help with uh, <laughs> setting up their router. <laughs> Has this happened to you, Zach? No, but it's it's plausible, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I my I'm just confused because it's not something that you do often is type in the admin username and password, yeah. especially if it's the default. Like that should be a one time thing. Maybe if you're an app developer, people are more likely to I don't know. I don't know why everyone cheered about it. Uh, it was maybe confusing it, it... at the time. Is it that you could have it look at any piece of paper? Because, like, if you wrote down the password on a sticky note and scanned that, that would be really useful. Maybe. Handwriting recognition is still really hard. Or, like, if you had it typed out, maybe? Anyway, I'm just kind of yeah. confused by this, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, another AI thing beyond Google Lens was something called Google.ai which is just a website now where all of the top AI researchers are going to be putting their knowledge on AI. And one of the things that they mentioned as a Google.ai project is, I don't remember the name of it, but it was essentially machine learning, learning how to make better neural networks. Okay, that's a problem for me. Okay, I was really hoping you could calm me down about that because I was thinking that was like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, no. You agree. But if the AIs can make... AIs, then what are we here for? We're, I mean, once they figure out, like, there's not much that, if once they figure that out, there's not much more that the humans are necessary for. Art. They, <laughs> well, I mean, the only reason we have AIs. Reassuring platitudes? The only reason we have AIs make art is so that we can enjoy it. But if the AIs can make AIs that can enjoy art, we're actually like we're even less that's this is worse than i thought and then we enter into a star trek post-scarcity economy and there will be no problems no uprisings um yes everything will be fine it'll be star trek that would be nice and that is one of two possibilities i think it (laughs) i think it has to go to one of the extremes i really don't think there's a middle ground i think it's either a post-scarcity society or or a post-human society. Yeah, or a post-human society. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they, nobody like started throwing tomatoes on stage when they mentioned that they were making machine learning to make more machine learning. So I'm assuming we're just not quite understanding the entirety of it. Maybe, uh, like, but I'm just. Do you think there could be a middle ground where humans aren't quite in post-scarcity? but are more prosperous because AIs can make better AIs? Only in, like, a transitionary phase. Yeah, Either exactly. We're Eventually we're going to get to one of those. Either we're in one of those or we're heading towards one of those. Although, I guess 
that was always true. I don't think ever in human society someone thought, you know what, we're probably just gonna stay at some we're gonna stay in the middle for, for a while. It was either gonna be a utopia or a dystopia. Like, that is all the futuristic but, novels. Yeah. But most of the inventions that we have, most of the creations that we make, don't so clearly seem to divide. Like, somebody didn't make... Gutenberg didn't make the first printing press, and everybody was like, that's it. It's all just gone to heck. <laughs> Everybody's no, gonna die now. They did for, like... Uh, they probably did for, like, black powder or the nuclear bomb. They were like, oh, mm. we're all going to die or we're all going to get along. And we saw how that worked out. Yeah, we all died. Actually, actually, no, okay. So we can anticipate, we anticipated that either everyone was going to get along because of the nuclear bombs or we were all going to die. And then the Cold War happened, and I, I don't think that's either of them. That's no, not I agree. I, along and yeah, that's... I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about this. So are we uh, a utopia for the past? I would say so. I would say that anyone living sufficiently far in the past would say that we have a pretty good life. There's no flying cars, though, so you'd have to go pretty far into the past to get somebody <laughs> who thinks that this is utopia. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, it could be just that we get into what we would consider a, a utopia right now, but it would happen so gradually that we don't notice. Yeah, there, there are still problems in Star Trek. Yeah. It's just all of the problems that we have today have been solved. They're new problems. All right. All right. Feeling a little better? Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. But I still think that maybe... Machine learning to make more machine learning is not should we, what we're thinking. How, like, it's going to happen eventually. So how long should we wait? Yeah. Wait, like what? Like if we're placing bets, either it's going to be utopia no, no, or dystopia I mean, by... No, no, no. I mean, like, you said that machine learning that can make machine learning makes you nervous. So, but it's going to happen eventually. So how long should we wait before pursuing this? I'm still not quite following you. In the future, will we, will we be better equipped to make machine learning that makes machine learning? Will it make you less nervous in the future to have machines that make machines? Presumably. Oh. Just because it'll be more the status quo. There'll be AI everywhere, so it'll make sense that AI is also making the AI. I mean, that not that now, though? Like, we just had a whole developer conference about how everything's going to be AI instead of mobile. Yeah, but going to be. I guess the AI is more hidden now. Well, I mean, I'm not quite sure where I'm like where I'm headed with this. It's I don't think it's ever going to be. Well, maybe it will be, but it's definitely not heading towards the direction of a HAL 2000 like device, where it is a physical entity that where AI is a physical entity that you could technically smash. Hmm. I think it's always it's always going to be in the background. It's going to be something that you are appreciative that is that it's there but not thinking about constantly like it's not a big glowing red dot on your wall that won't open the pod bay doors but it is a it's just part of your spaceship or part of your car part of your life ai is okay all right i i follow that actually kind of handily transitions into something else i was gonna talk about um which i was just They've got all this new stuff for AI, all these new 
technologies um, that Google came out with for AI. And I'm just wondering, you seem to pretty frequently on this show have million or billion dollar ideas. So what's your million dollar AI idea? Um, Because I'm, I, I guess I have a hard time picturing what an AI application looks like. Okay. Like structurally? In the I, code? I know what it looks like when you make a, well, no, I, I know what it looks like when you make a good phone app, but I don't know what a good AI app looks like. Uh, well, I mean, the one that you and I definitely want would be like, for me, I would like something that listens to all my conversations and places things in my calendar, in my to-do list, so I don't have to think about doing that. And then it does them for you, too. Well, yeah, but that is, that kind of takes the fun out of it. <laughs> okay, so that's... That would be my billion dollar idea. And it's not an idea that has not been thought of before. It's just something mm -hmm. that no one's been able to do yet. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard to parse information. I mean, hell, humans would get that wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's it for AI. Okay. From Google I.O. Um, there were a couple other quick updates. Google Home now has uh, calling, hands-free calling. Yay. New languages. German, not German. Yes, German? I, I don't know. Some new languages, including Python? UK English. <laughs> it's Yes, also that. They they opened up the... Oh, I was joking. The, <laughs> yeah, they opened up the Assistant APIs. So Cool. Usually Google makes APIs for Python, but I meant uh, Japanese and British English, but yeah. Um, there's also Google Photo Sharing which is another sort of AI type thing. Um, they're using that intelligence to recognize when somebody's in a group of pictures and then it'll pop up a notification and say, hey, Steven's in all of these pictures of you at the pool. Did you want to share this day of events with him? And you yeah, can say, actually, cool. yeah. Um, a few updates to Android. Android O is going to have what they call fluid experiences, which includes like picture in picture. Um, there's now dot notification badges they don't have numbers but they have a dot okay yeah I've, uh slack for mac has that pretty sure yeah right um that's what i'm thinking and now of, right? you can that's what you're is that what they mean that dot in the middle of a red circle sort of um on the actual app on your launcher which is like your home screen mm -hmm. um there will be a dot on the top right corner just like with iOS has the numbered dots. Oh, it's just a dot. Okay. Nothing in the but middle this one's of the just dot. just a dot. Okay. And you can tap and hold it and that'll it's it's I'm guessing Apple has a patent on the way that force touch works. So Google's been really trying hard to re-implement force touch just with long presses and it's not the same thing. No, it's not. I have a uh, 6 plus an iPhone 6 plus which is the model before 3d touch was put into the phones and every time i see someone with a newer phone 3d touch on a notification i just get a little bit sad yeah <laughs> so the idea here is then you would the the android version of 3d touch tap and hold on that note or on the icon and the notification will pop up they've also got something called tensorflow light which is their ai API, but built for a mobile phone so that it works 
on mobile without killing all of your battery. Speaking so, of battery, they're making sure things don't kill your battery. All right. Uh, TensorFlow Lite, is that just the comp- all the little computations are done in the cloud? I don't know. I didn't uh, look into how it's implemented. Okay. Just that it's built, it's baked into the Android system now from Android O up. All right. Uh, and then they actually used the phrase, oh, and one more thing, oh, which no. was really neat. And I don't know if it was intentional, <laughs> um, but they were, they were talking and she was like, honestly about to walk off. Then she was like, oh, and one more thing. Uh, there's official Kotlin support, which is a new programming language. Uh, it's Java, but better. It's got some neat functionality like um, operator overloading, which mm. is what? Well, I don't, I don't... Maybe I don't understand it very well. Go ahead. Okay. I. Go what, ahead. what do you think it is? No, no. I tell me what it is, Zach. Okay. Um. So it's it's not a option in Java, but in C plus plus, it's a fancy programming language thing. So if you're not interested in fancy programming language things, feel free to zone out for a little bit. Um. Basically, when you're programming, there are different variables and you can use like the plus sign or the equals sign the double equals to check if they're equal or um i'm trying to remember what some of the other operators are there's the array index operator the open and close brackets that kind of thing and in languages without operator overloading certain things just uh like you can add integers with the plus sign but if you made something like a dollar variable you couldn't add dollars with a plus sign you'd have to do dollar dot add another dollar and so operator overloading makes it so that you can redefine the functionality so you can say dollar plus dollar okay good that's nothing what like what i thought it was what did you think it was um I, well what it sounds like is uh trying to correct you when you are doing a complex kind of like bracket uh square bracket curly bracket plus square bracket curly bracket square bracket curly bracket oh and if you screw that up it'll try to correct you okay the wolfram alpha we attempted to fix your mismatch parentheses works zero percent of the time i've had it work a couple times usually when the parentheses is supposed to go right at the end um (laughs) um so anyway kotlin is uh language that was developed in private they're working on making it more open now and now it's got first class support on android so i guess i'm learning kotlin over the summer sweet that's it for android from there Uh, they've also got some vr and ar virtual reality and augmented reality news um they're doing a standalone vr thing that they didn't describe pretty much at all they were just like by the way we're making this it's all in one hardware there's no phone no computer nothing gets connected to it just one thing that you slide onto your head and it just works and it google glass v2 yeah i guess yeah it it's not augmented reality it's virtual reality so it's more i think trying to compete on the oculus level okay what's the ar news uh ar actually they're a couple years ago, they previewed Tango, which is their hardware line of AR devices. Um, you can get two Tango devices right now. There's one by Lenovo and one by LG. And um, 
They talked about a visual positioning service, which is like GPS, but for inside buildings. So you can use the AR on this device to kind of get a sense of where you are. So if you're in a museum or something, your phone can figure out where you are based on the things that are around you and then point you in the right direction. And then they have Google Expeditions AR, which is basically you take one of these Tango devices and give each give one to each member of a classroom and then you can look around a rainforest that shows up in your classroom or look there's a volcano on the table now um <laughs> you can sense the strong sarcasm in my voice because i've witnessed a google ar product in a school just kind of chill in a drawer maybe used twice a year um which i really anticipate happening with this as well yeah probably I think it's mostly just uh, the the limiting factor isn't the schools, it's the people who develop for schools because schools don't like to pay a lot of money and mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot of work to design an entire rainforest in your classroom. Yeah. Still, I feel like we've tried this enough times that we should know that by now. Yeah, I would agree. Well, don't worry, Zach. Uh, there won't be any more computers in schools because of the WannaCry virus. Oh, like at all? They're just going to get rid of all the computers to get rid of the virus? Well, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> you can cry. Yeah, but it won't help your computer. <laughs> I guess. Um, so I have a rough idea of how this virus works, but you're usually the security guy, so I'm hoping you have a better idea. So... WannaCry is a ransomware worm that uses the SMB port to get into internal networks. And basically what that means is uh, it's ransomware, so it's a program that will go... That once it's on your computer, it will encrypt all your files, and after it has encrypted the files, it will not give them back. It won't give you the password until you give them... A certain amount of money, usually in Bitcoin. In WannaCry's case, it's $300 to get your files back. And it's mm -hmm. also a worm. So normally, uh, ransomware just sits on your computer and stays there. It usually gets on your computer by you opening an email attachment or something like that. But this one is a worm. So it will look for vulnerabilities on the internet, uh, things that are open, specifically the SMB port, which should not be open on any computer, but it wiggles its way into your computer, gets on there, and then scans your local network, which tends to have a much more relaxed uh, firewall than the, your external mm -hmm. connection. And then it from there, it propagates throughout the network. So in a hospital, say, you have all the computers that are connected via a local connection a local uh internet or an intranet and once it's on all of the computers that on the network it starts encrypting and will not give the computers back until you give it three hundred dollars mm -hmm. uh i i think we covered all of the on. acronyms in that sentence uh, i, I just so. want to make sure that all of the all of the words that you used have been defined <laughs> um but yeah it's a problem because usually worms are just uh there to be there like they might slow your computer down a little bit or it's more like a prank than a real problem mm -hmm. but they could do, you could do a keylogger worm 
Yeah, you could steal information with a worm, too. But usually it doesn't, like, encrypt your hard drive or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. this is a a new thing. Okay, but actually, who does this affect, Stephen? Well, now it should be no one. But it totally will be someone. Because all Windows machines, which it's a Windows virus, all Windows machines Mm -hmm. have been patched as of March. If you yeah. have been installing updates, which apparently no one does. <laughs> uh, any computer running Windows XP, which they should not be, is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And That hasn't been patched. That hasn't been March. patched, yeah. So it, the, the thing that you said about hospitals is actually the more accurate representation because a lot of places now don't have anything running XP that's connected to the internet. Yeah, but uh, like a... Like an MRI machine might still be running XP because they bought it a long time ago. And it's, why would you patch it? It's not even connected to the internet, but it is connected to a computer that's connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. Or it's a chain. Does, doesn't the school have a XP computer still running some legacy hardware? Yes, but it's not connected to any network. All right. We made very much sure right, of that a long time ago. I, yeah. Microsoft is the. A while ago, Microsoft said they weren't supporting XP at all, but this was um, severe enough for them to patch it. Okay. It's actually a pretty polite virus. It has several different languages. I think there's like 10 or 15 languages that you can choose. And it also has links about Bitcoin and how to buy Bitcoin. (laughs) So it's also... And that makes the authorities think that it was state-sponsored. Um Working theory is North Korea just trying to wreak havoc, but there's no actual evidence for that. It's just speculation. That's it's interesting because we just talked about the state-sponsored uh, Stuxnet, yeah, and how watertight that was. There were no errors in it at all. And um, the oh. the first time that I heard about OneEcrypt, it was about one of the problems that it had had um, in one of its iterations, which was they sent a message out to a server or actually not even a server out to check if dns uh, if a domain name was registered so this so like zach said um the virus would go out and reach out to this domain name that is just like it's 20 characters long of just random gibberish mm-hmm. and this guy who has the twitter handle at malware tech blog and i followed him before this happened so i feel accomplished i was following him before it was cool um <laughs> was watching the network traffic of a computer infected with the WannaCry virus and noticed it was trying to get there so he went and registered it to see how many uh computers were infected but mm-hmm. it turns out that this just is a kill switch if there's something there and all the viruses just stopped trying to encrypt things just because the domain re- was registered <laughs> But that's, I think, one iteration of it. Yeah, it was weird, though, because why? There's, It, it seems like I, I can't think to of a reason. To see if they're in a sandbox, I think. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. To see if there's somebody running it in a VM and, like, keeping an eye on it. Hmm. But yeah, uh, moral of the story is update your computers, because if you have updated since, since uh, late March, you should be fine. Especially, just don't use Windows XP. Yeah, that too. That's the real moral. So, 
I run her the 110 meter hurdles in on my track team, and just recently we had the conference track meet, which I, it's not the really big deal meet, but it's a pretty big deal meet, and the it this meet had been rained out, not rained out, uh, lightninged out, I guess. We're not allowed to run if there's lightning, and there was, so we had to reschedule it for the next day. So I was already a little bit off my game because it was different because they started it where they left off from the other meet from the first time they tried. So I had less time to warm up and stuff. And I just wasn't feeling the best, I guess, like how I normally feel when I'm about to race. But I was going to try it anyway, obviously. I wasn't going to scratch it or anything. So I get down to my blocks and I hear the gun and we take off and... I was keeping up for the first couple hurdles, like maybe the first three I was in more or less in the lead, and mm-hmm. at the, I'm pretty sure it was the fourth hurdle, I misjudged or the hurdle was a little bit different than the other ones or something like that, and this is, the the hurdles were just really bad. Normally you'd make them out of aluminum and fiberglass for the crossbar, but mm-hmm. these were made of uh, cast iron and wood for the crossbar so they're super heavy and they will hurt you if you hit them yeah so i'm running at this thing full force and i misjudge it or something but my left leg the one i lead over with hits Mm -hmm. the hurdle with about the ball the ball of my foot which has three spikes on it three metal spikes and the hurdle leans back a little bit so that my toes, the spikes on my toes, are also embedded into the wood. Mm-hmm. And because I have all this momentum, because I'm running at it full force, I just rip right through the wood. <laughs> and I can't, I mean, I'm looking forward. I'm not seeing this. And this is just what I've deduced happened. Yeah. Um, and I just see this spray of splinters out come out from my leg. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool actually but um i ended up t- really breaking that hurdle it uh had about uh i guess like an inch diameter left of wood <laughs> when it's usually like i don't know two inches inch and a half and uh i ended up taking eighth place which is not good for me yeah uh so yeah I I was thinking your cleat was just going to get stuck in the wood. It was going to get embedded and you were going to have to run the rest of the race with a hurdle tied to your foot. <laughs> no, uh no, I just the thing is so heavy like it it maybe I would have had to drag it if it was lighter, but the thing was just so heavy that my foot just ripped right through the wood. <laughs> it was really cool and I wish someone got a picture of it. So, um uh, a week ago or so, you sent me a Snapchat of your computer, and I noticed that in the background on the computer was your Evernote journaling notebook, and I started to read whatever the entry was, and then the time limit was up. So now you're journaling, apparently. Uh, yeah, I am enjoying it, I think. Um, I tried to do it before. I like just like reflecting on my day and... Uh, putting into words how I feel about things that happened, I think that is uh, mm-hmm. 
not really relaxing, but it it feels good to vocalize my thoughts. Yeah. Um, I've tried to do it before, but in my previous attempts at journaling, it became a chore, and I started not to like it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to stick to it, to it this time. Um, I think it's a little bit different this time because I have two things that I didn't have before. One, a verbal acknowledgement on a public podcast. <laughs> And also, I'm not requiring myself to do it every day or on a schedule at all. Just you, if you want to do it, do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do it or you're too tired to do it, just do it tomorrow. Because it's just for me and it won't be a big deal. Uh, I mostly write down things that I'm thinking about or things that happened that were out of the ordinary. And um, I write them... To make it seem like I'm writing it for someone else to read eventually. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure why. It's just what I felt most comfortable doing. Yeah. Yeah, I I started journaling myself just about the same time as I started doing the archives project for my class. Mm-hmm. So... Do you think that what, that was why? Like, oh, someone might want to actually know this stuff one day. It wasn't why, but it was a... A component of kind of that way of writing of like, hey, maybe in the future someone will actually read this. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that's my structure. I try to do it every night. It's not the end of the world if I don't, but um, I know myself. And if I didn't have that pretty strict schedule of every night, I just wouldn't do it at all. Hmm. Um, but it it has been helpful and it's been nice to go through the day. And then I also, at the bottom, keep track of how many days in a streak I've been doing journaling, Swedish, and exercise. Oh, you're gamifying it and stuff? Um, Just those last three things. It's one line okay. of just little boxes that I can tick. I also don't do it at any set time in the day. So mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff is like some stuff that will happen because I'm doing it at noon. And then the next day I can write about what actually happened, I think, is usually how I've been doing it. Do you do it on the computer or do you do it in a notebook? I do it in a notebook. It's an excuse for me to write with my fountain pen. Yeah. I wanted to do that and I just, uh, I don't know. There was something, I did really want to do it because I like writing with my fountain pen, but uh, I think it was, I, I think it would be less of a chore if I do it in my Evernote because I can type much faster than I can write, it will take less time and it will be mm-hmm. less of a chore. Uh, so maybe eventually I transition into notebooks, but for now yeah. it's... Slowing down for me with writing and it lets me collect my next thought into a sentence as I'm still writing the current one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. What notebook do you use? It's literally just a mead spiral bound Oh, okay. It's a Staples notebook. notebook. Yeah. Yeah. I figure once I fill that one up, then I can get a moo or something, but I should probably demonstrate that I'm actually capable <laughs> of journaling before I get a nice fancy notebook to journal in. It's a good idea. Same mentality as your keyboard with learning Dvorak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for listeners that don't know, I type with the Dvorak keyboard layout as opposed to the QWERTY keyboard layout. And I learned on my laptop with a little uh, 
a keyboard cover that changes the letters around. And I told myself, if I can get to, do you remember what it was? Words per minute? 60 maybe or 80? Yeah. It was either 60 or 80. I remember it being even and round. Mm-hmm. Uh, either 60 or 80 words per minute. Then I'll buy myself a nice fancy mechanical keyboard. So your journal, you do like you're writing to someone else. But how do you do your to-do-as? To-do, to-do, to-do's? <laughs> to do to do why did i just mess up that word it's not a hard word uh what perspective do you write your to-dos in <laughs> i write my to-dos as if i was telling a different person to do something like uh you need to do a thing mm-hmm. i uh there's a few of them that are more like uh prepare for next week's worrying bug show like but still more of a demand than a yeah like i need to do this versus you need to do this and I always tell someone else to do mm-hmm. it. My, I guess I'm telling my future self. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't even think about how I wrote them until you added this to the show notes. But my general one, if I look through them, um, would would follow the phrase, remind me to. So remind me to read chapter 14 for my data and algorithms class or remind me to do Swedish. Okay. Actually, that, that one's just called Swedish. Remind me to Swedish. <laughs> um, so it's either the the name of the thing to be done in the abstract, or it's like You're talking about yourself, first person, I guess. Yeah, I need to do this more than you need to do that. Yeah, but most of them are just as a the name of the task. Hmm. It's not a. There's no, not always a verb, I guess, with it. So I had a revelation, and not, oh. and it's not mine. It is CGP Grey's revelation that I am taking credit for. All right. But it, it did get me to think about what the goal of productivity is. And until now, I've been thinking that improving my productivity will allow me to get more done. Mm-hmm. When that's not really what we should be... That's not really the goal, I think. I think the goal of productivity is not to get more done... Is to get the same amount of work done faster so that you can use that time to do more fun things. Yeah. I think for us, though, part of the the, the fun things a lot of times are new projects. Yeah, for sure. But I'm thinking, like, for... My, the thing I was thinking about when I wrote this down was what I do when I am able to finish more work in a day. So if I have a serious project that needs to get done and i do finish that serious project i don't think okay cool i can take a break now i think sweet i can open another project now mm. i can get more credits i can improve my gpa by opening more yeah. projects and, and, and then it's a matter of values yeah i suppose what you what you find most important when you're finishing one thing and starting the next yeah and I think that now that school's essentially over for me, I'm having not not a hard time, but I'm I feel very out of place doing nothing at school, consciously doing nothing. Mm-hmm. I got there's been times where I get into a discussion and end up doing nothing all day, but I am going to school planning to do nothing. <laughs> and it's yeah. just a weird feeling, but that's why I got all that work done was so that I could do nothing later. I could take a break later. So 
Mm-hmm. So now what are you doing for fun now that you can do nothing? Um, well, there has been some more just for the hell of it projects. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, the one I'm working on right now is a create your own government project. Ooh. Which I haven't worked out all the details of, but basically it's a government with that is based on an, the economy and the economy is based on information. Oh, okay. I see. So you're creating your own government. Yeah. What? I thought it was going to be like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. Like, if you want a democracy, turn to page 35. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, I, it's, yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, I am drafting a constitution and Ooh. I will be using my, uh, using my Lamy, uh, Joy, I think. Because it has a, I'm not sure if you can see that, Zach, but the nib is, whoops, the nib is flat at the top. Ooh. So the down and up strokes are thicker than the left and right strokes. So it, it's like fake mm-hmm. calligraphy. Yeah. So I think it'll be like a fun, it'll be a fun thing to do to have a constitution written in a, in a calligraphy. Yeah. But yeah, I have to work out all the details of how all that's going to work. Basically, so yeah, how does, what are, I'm thinking. What's the functionality of an information economy? Uh, essentially, um, what I'm planning is for there not to be corporations and stuff, but all transactions are handled through the government. <laughs> Using AI? <laughs> well, probably at some point. Uh, let me pull up that notebook. Oh, and it has a name too. Inform Nation. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, this is wonderful, but like... Uh. (laughs) so you earn credit by discovering information participating in experiments and using new information to make cool stuff and what the idea is is um when you the okay so when you discover information that information is the government's information which they okay well uh, I, it has to be like that because the government... Yeah, no, I, I guess I just have such a weird reaction to that because I was raised in a capitalist society. So yeah, like it's, yeah, it's a little bit weird for me too. It's preposterous that that an individual citizen wouldn't just get all the fruits of their labors. Yeah, no, um, but... and the government kind of acts like a corporation in a way. Like it's all one big corporation. Yeah. Like they assign you your job even though... They'll give you what job you want because that's just what makes sense. But if there is something like a famine happening, they're going to put you on food rather than quarks or whatever. Okay. And, okay, so the government, with their information, their GDP is selling that information to other countries. All right. And because it's a government and not a corporation, any profit that they make goes to the citizens in the form of uh more credit per discovery essentially and discoveries are yeah. weighted by importance and etc okay um as you can imagine education is important teachers are widely respected and paid very well wouldn't that be nice <sighs> and it's like societally an honor to be a teacher like it's really really hard to be one yeah because these are the kids we're talking about um 
as far as national security, it's going to be basically uh, blackmailing other countries <laughs> with an awesome spy program. Okay. Like, watch out, America, or we're going to leak your secrets. I mean, America does that enough on its own without needing foreign help. <laughs> Good point. Um, but yeah, uh, and then there's the only other thing I could really think of was uh, the only problem you would have is because it would be a very well as far as the uh structure of the government it would be mm-hmm. one supreme leader oh god and a supreme those are never good words to hear one supreme leader and a supreme council to oversee the supreme leader so the okay. supreme leader and that would the the council would be kind of a meritocracy type deal uh let me just go through it um okay so the supreme leader's job is to do what's best for the country. That is what he is supposed to do. Supposed to. Yep. So he will have complete control over everything in the country, uh, just like a CEO in a corporation would. All right. Uh, so giving that level of freedom allows for fast decisions and quicker progress towards prosperity. Um, they will be appointed by the former supreme leader, which allows the supreme leader to not have to worry about public opinion and focus on making progress towards the goal which is Wait, I, prosperity I, I spaced out and i started thinking about bernie madoff what were you saying uh the supreme leader will be appointed by the former supreme leader okay uh that allows the supreme leader to not have to worry about public opinion and focus on making progress towards prosperity okay but like people still dislike kim jong-un okay that's why privately we're gonna <laughs> That's where the Supreme Council comes in, and I'm getting there. Uh, they will serve for life if they want to, and the Supreme Council allows them to. Uh, okay. Delegation of responsibilities is probably a good idea for them, but any mistakes that the Supreme Leader's delegates make will reflect on the Supreme Leader in the eyes of the Supreme Council. Yeah. So the Supreme Council, is their job is to make sure that the Supreme Leader is doing the Supreme Leader's job, and not anything else. Like, the Supreme Leader should not be doing anything that would, uh, wouldn't be doing anything that's not what's best for the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, the council will consist of 11 people. The, they will serve for eight-year terms with no re-election limits. They will be elected by popular vote to protect the rights of the people. Okay. Uh, their salaries will be tied to the country's GDP. So that they'll still care about doing what's best for the country and also the rights of the people. Okay. Uh, and the council has the power to remove the supreme leader from power with a unanimous vote. The council also has the power to repeal any decision that the supreme ruler makes by majority. So if the supreme That leader... would be retroactively though, right? Yeah. So he says, you know what? I think we should kill all the whales. And the Supreme Council's like, uh, no, that's not a good idea. Yeah, okay. But, hmm, okay. Uh, there are some problems okay. I can anticipate. Let's hear them. Um, so I'm the Supreme Leader. Okay. And, like, generally I'm making some good decisions for the country. But, you know, I'm the Supreme Leader. I should have it kind of cushy, too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Should have a kind of cushy deal? I guess. Okay, so that's that's just fine if I, as Supreme Leader, just am giving myself a little on the side? 
if you can make the case to the Supreme Council that giving yourself a better rolly chair is better for the country, then it's fine. Okay. All right. Um, how are you handling gerrymandering? It is a direct popular vote, so, I mean... Gotcha. Okay. Isn't so really, it's, it's not a problem. It's, it's not representative it's not at all. Districts. It's not no, districts. It's just, it's just it's one to one voting. The top eight of the people. Yep. Who ran, right? It's top eleven, but yeah. Top eleven. Okay. All right. Um, those were the first ones that came to mind. Yeah, I mean, I, obvi- it's not going to be perfect. Obviously, no government is perfect, but and honestly, it's just kind of a gag government anyway. But. I yeah. think it could function for a while. Yeah. My main concern um, would be other countries because Informed Nation has a wealth of information that they are not giving mm-hmm. to other countries because if that's they were your main export. Yeah, that's my main export. So uh the immigration policy has to be like this. And immigrants must be invited. <laughs> Friggin' Silicon Valley nation invite only country <laughs> it, it really it, it has to be because um yeah otherwise we have issues with spies and emigration uh, cut out emigration is the real big problem because what will happen is america's like hey bud uh i'll give you whatever he's gonna pay you but double it if you tell me what you're researching mm-hmm. so all information that that uh that you discover is a state secret and that's just a lot of information to be secret and it's a lot of people for that to be secret too and i don't want to have to be like okay we're going to censor all information coming from outside of informed nation but that is what i'm coming to no okay i am gonna draw a line at the censorship and but do you have a better solution though no but like why would what's stopping us that go ahead that feels like a larger human rights issue than capitalism let's say okay maybe this maybe this instead of actively censoring it's passive monitoring and never mind that doesn't work um yeah i'm just trying to think of a way to get a tax-ish system because normally if a private citizen wants to sell their goods to a different country Mm -hmm. then it would there would just be a tax from the country that the private citizen is living in yeah but you can't tax information especially in our age of encryption and all that stuff yeah so if i wanted like a car Mm -hmm. i need to get from one end of california to the other end um, it's, I'm just imagining that California becomes its own state and is, okay. or becomes okay. its own country. And we'll say it's California. Informination. We'll um, say it's California. Want to drive from Northern California to Southern California. I need to get a car. Do I just go on like Informazon <laughs> and get it with credits and uh, then it gets imported by the government and shipped to my house? That would be how that would work. Yeah, I guess, um, the government keeps... You and the government both keep a record of how many credits you have. Like, just imagine the government is also your bank, but you should also keep a record because you don't don't trust anyone, of course. And then what? I I you're making don't. weird faces. 
you say, government, I want a car. And the government's like, okay, you have helped advance human society enough this month. You get a car. Or you have enough in your savings. Yeah. Three billion credits of knowledge. And then... Knowledge credits. And yeah, a car is shipped to you by... Okay, and this is the next part. At first, it'll be shipped to you by a person. But eventually, we're going to be able to automate jobs like driving trucks. And so so then everyone will be in the research field. Yeah, but at some point, someone's going to get booted from their job in trucking and have to just fend for themselves. So here's what we're going to do. Um... As Send them to re-education facilities. But basically, they'll say, okay, we don't have to spend as much money to pay people to drive trucks anymore because we have robots yeah. to drive trucks. So we're going to use that money to retrain people who lost their jobs due to automation. But we're only going to use that money until up until a point where it becomes profitable again to uh have that be automated okay so last week or a couple weeks ago i was talking about kin calendar which combined todoist and google calendar for me and just this past week google calendar and todoist together announced they'll be working in partnership um, working alongside each other so now there's a perfect todoist google calendar integration and it came out right after I sent in the money to subscribe to KinCalendar because it was providing a service I couldn't get anywhere else. Oh, that's um, just perfect. Yeah. And, like, I legit can't find the unsubscribe button, so I'll email them. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Todoist's uh, Google Calendar integration does a couple things that Kin couldn't quite get right. Uh, they have custom duration. They have support for repeating events. Um, the one problem I've ha- I'm having... Oh, words. The one problem that I'm having is that you can't move events from not having a set time, like they're essentially imported as all-day events, into Mm -hmm. having a set time just by dragging and dropping. You need to click into it and uncheck all-day. Real minor problem. uh, That's good. Um, I think once you get yourself unsubscribed from King Calendar, that'll be really (laughs) awesome. Yeah. So I want to start a Worrying Bugs book club, guys, and I think it'll be really fun because I've never seen it before, anything like it before in a podcast, um, but basically what I want to do is all of our listeners and me and Zach are going to read a book, and in two weeks we're going to come back and talk about what we read. Uh, not the whole book, probably, just like a chapter or two. So we're going to read up to a specific point in the book. Um, we'll let you know the episode before. And we're hoping that you guys will be able to tweet at us um, or comment in and let us know what you think about the book, uh, if you're reading along with us, or what you think about our analysis, if you've already read. Yeah, um, we're super excited to do it. And the first book we're going to be reading is... Reem D by Neil Stevenson. Uh, I'm going to read the summary from the publisher's website. Great. I honestly haven't. Somebody just said, hey, you should read this book. (laughs) Okay. In 1972, Richard Forthrast, I think, Richard (laughs) Forthrast 
The black sheep of an Iowa farming clan fled to the mountains of British Columbia to avoid the draft. A skilled guide, he eventually amassed a fortune by smuggling marijuana across the border between Canada and, o and Idaho. As the years passed, Richard went straight and returned to the United States after the U.S. government granted amnesty to draft dodgers. He parlayed his wealth into an empire and developed a remote resort in which he lives. He created T-Rain, a multi-billion dollar, massively multiplayer online role-playing game with millions of fans around the world. But T-Rain's success has also made it a target. Hackers have struck gold by unleashing Rem Remdy? Remdy? Remdy. 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 It's, it's read me, but the syllables are weird. Remdy. By unleashing Remdy, a virus that encrypts all other players' electronics files and holds them for ransom. They also have unwittingly triggered a deadly war beyond the boundaries of the game's virtual universe. And Richard is at ground zero. Racing across the globe from the Pacific Northwest to China and to the wilds of northern Idaho and points in between, Remdy is a swift-paced thriller that traverses worlds virtual and real, filled with unexpected twists and turns in which unforgettable villains and unlikely heroes face off in a battle for survival. It is a brilliant refraction of the 21st century, from the spherical war on terror to social media, computer hackers to mobsters, entrepreneurs to religious fundamentalists. Above all, Remdy is an enthralling human story, an entertaining and epic page-turner from the extraordinary Neil Stevenson. All right. Well, so um, these don't have this book doesn't have chapters, but it has days. So we're going to read up to day one, day, day zero. Uh, read up to the start of day zero. So yeah, in two weeks, we'll check back and give you guys a little analysis. If you want to read along, please do. If you want to write in with your analysis, also please do. We'll be super excited to read it. All right. And if you want to reach us about the book club or anything else, uh, we're on Twitter. I'm at the puns guy. And I'm at not Stephen Barry. Don't forget to go and check out our podcast on iTunes. Like and favorite. Rate it. Five stars. Comment. Do all that fun stuff. If you subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, you can catch us every other week right in your feed. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.